I also ask God that you would um, give us insight in, as we read your Bible tonight. And I, I ask for uh, a, f- a freedom in the house uh, that, that we're allowed to not give the Sunday school answers to the questions and we're allowed to question the questions. Um, sometimes, uh, sometimes, God, uh, you, what you want to say to us, we, we don't hear it very well because we th- have a special category of spiritual things, but everything's spiritual to you. Amen. Actually, that's what he told me today. Um, he said that when we, when we, we think that we think that he's in this sort of vein, this vein of spiritual conversations. That, that, that's related to God. But then the rest of life is just life. And that's curious to him because to him, since he made and sustains everything and designs and, is, and fills everything, it's just like so weird for, for him to see the categories that we think with. You know, it's like, he's like, I don't think that way. It's strange to me. You know, because my wife consistently tells me that uh, I'm boring her when I talk about uh, electricity. Uh, Doug does too. He's like, that's enough of that. Um, like the American electrical system is wired. Keep going. At, at, you know, Europe uses, what do they use? Two, 240 everywhere? And we, we only run 240 on our, on our big stuff. We run everything else on 120. And then we have 15 amp breakers for most things, 20 amp breakers for bigger things, and then bigger breakers for the biggest things. But our extension cords are usually less than the 14-gauge wire that the smaller 15-amp breakers are rated to protect. Have I lost you half the room already? The tinier the wire, the hotter it's going to get when you run a lot of volts through it. The breaker exists to protect the wire. So when you put a tiny little extension cord, which most of our extension cords are at 16 at the biggest, 18 is, is often normal for a long cord, that's real thin. And then you plug a space heater into it, like I find the last two days in my living room with my kids. And then I feel the cable, and the cable's hot. And the insulation inside there is either just flammable plastic, or, or if it's wrapped, it's wrapped in paper. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Stuff like that, my wife would be like, that's boring. And I'm like, no, this is going to save your life. You know, the guys who design the cars tell you to change the oil because they design the cars. They know how it works. Knowing how things work is extremely helpful if you don't want to burn the house down. So and what, the point I'm making is I was thinking about this kind of stuff and working on these projects, and, and, I'm, and I was like, oh, yeah. You know, my wife gets real bored hearing about this, and the Lord's like, well, I don't because everything's spiritual to me. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that's right. Because I'm completely weirded out by my... Inqui- inquisitive, what's the word? Inquisitive. Well, how do you use that as a, inquisitivity, as a, can't, that can't be a word. Yeah. Is it a word, inquisitivity? That can't, that sounds wrong. It is now. <laughs> okay, ready? <laughs> Who said that? <laughs> One, two, three, go. There was a certain man named Ananias, who with his wife Sapphira sold some property and he brought part of the money to the apostles claiming that it was the full amount and with his wife's consent he kept the rest and then Peter said Ananias why have you let Satan 
Just listen. It's Acts 5. Fine, fine. Since two, every, every, every uh, issue must be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. <laughs> then Peter said, Ananias, why have you let Satan fill your heart? You lied to the Holy Spirit. And you kept some of the money for yourself. The property was yours to sell or not sell as you wished. And after selling it, the money was yours to give away or keep. How could you do a thing like this? You weren't lying to us. You were lying to God. And as soon as Ananias heard these words, he fell to the floor and died. And everyone who heard about it was terrified. And then some young men got up and wrapped him in a sheet and took him out and buried him. And about three hours later, his wife came in not knowing what had happened. And Peter asked her, was this the price that you and your husband received for the land? For your land? Yes, she replied, that was the price. And Peter said, how could the two of you even think of conspiring to test the spirit of the Lord like this? The young men who buried your husband, they're just outside the door and they will carry you out too. And instantly she fell to the floor and died. And when the young men came in and saw that she was dead, they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear gripped the entire church and everyone else who heard what had happened. The apostles were performing many miraculous signs and wonders among the people, and all the believers were meeting regularly at the temple in the area known as Solomon's Colonnade. But no one else dared to join them, even though all the people had high regard for them. Yet more and more people believed and were brought to the Lord, crowds of both men and women. And as a result of the apostles' work, sick people were brought out into the streets on beds and mats so that Peter's shadow might fall across some of them as he went by. And crowds came from the villages around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those possessed by evil spirits, and they were all healed. And I'm going to read just a little more, okay? The high priest and his officials, who were the, the, the Sadducees, they were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail. But an angel of the Lord came at night and opened the gates of the jail and brought them out. And then he told them, go to the temple and tell the people all the words of this life. This is the word of the Lord. So reading a story like that, I find the kinds of questions that I have probably are cultural. My questions are, are questions like, did Peter say what he said because God told him to? You're going to die. The end. Or did God honor what Peter said because he has his authority? Could Peter have handled that moment and had it be a totally different outcome? That's a question I have. Could Peter have 
Could, could Ananias and Sapphira had been given an opportunity to repent and been exposed and been restored and the outcome be different and that would have been fine? But he chose to do it this way or did he have the authoritative leading of the Lord to, to do it this way? And some people would say, well, no, 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 don't even take Peter. Peter's not even involved. He didn't kill anybody. If I'm a sheriff... I have authority within a range of options. I can shoot to kill. I can shoot to maim. I can simply arrest. I can give warnings. And I'm, I'm able to use my freedom within a range of legal options that the judge will back and that the people will back in my official function. And so my question is really, did, did Peter and do we have authority to bind and loose in some ways as we deem right and appropriate? That's, that's one of the questions that I have. I, I said I have a bunch. Right before this story, we read about Barnabas, who was really wealthy, had a bunch of land, sold the land, gave them, laid the money at the feet of the apostles, right, right, right before this story, I think. So do you think it was just Peter? Or was it, there was probably more people that were involved in that. Good questions. Good, good observations. Yeah. I have more questions. I have more questions. Yeah, but Peter's always, you know, Peter's, Peter's the one, you know. He's the mouthpiece. Well, he's, he's, he's the man's man. Yeah. Peter's shoots from the hip. He's Say it one more time, Carl. It doesn't say. Yeah. Yeah, he, he specifically says, dude, it was yours. You could have done whatever you wanted. But why are you lying? So, so here's another thing that it doesn't say, but I'm going to tell you what I'm, how I read it. There's this thing happening in, in, in the life of the early church. There's this special, special thing happening where p- people are making sacrifices for Jesus. Awesome. And then you see other people making these sacrifices for Jesus and, and you, you admire them. It, yeah, it's meeting the needs of the people and, and it's, it's showing, oh, look how, tr- look, they re- Jesus must be really glorious, praise God. But you also admire them, right? And, and so every community has values and when people within a community live up to those values, they gain status, so to speak. Like Barnabas, wow. He's worthy of respect. Look at how he behaves. Look how he lives. And so Ananias and Sapphira, this is Tim speculating as to motives, they want the reputation of being someone who sacrifices a lot for Jesus, loves people, generous, but they also want the money. And so there's like two, yeah, go ahead. That's how I'm reading it, with my deputy question, right? Yeah. Right, this was, that's, this was kind of Peter putting that into practice. Well, that's quite, my question one was, was this the father sovereignly just doing this, and Peter was as shocked as everyone? Or, or did he actually have a creative part, hand in it, him and God were co, co-laboring creatively? 
It is interesting that he doesn't say, you've lied to me. He doesn't say, you've lied to the church. You lied to the Holy Spirit. The, this, the thing that's going on in this, in this season in church life is revealing. This is so fresh after Pentecost. It's, it's revealing he indwells us. So it doesn't say you lied to God's people. You lied to God's... You lied to the Holy Spirit. And it's giving to feed my reputation and ego. It's actually a really gross sin. It's a really gross sin. But okay, so I've, I've asked you, I've told you some of my questions as I'm reading. How much, how much authority, how much, how much interplay is there between Peter's role and God the Father's role? Because God did the killing. Are we clear about that? Okay. Now here's, here's an interesting question that I have. Why, why was... Peter and Luke who reports it not remotely apologetic they, they there was no sense in the book in, in Luke's telling that Peter did anything or that their death was anything to be embarrassed of or ashamed of or that God should be should be going guys I'm sorry I acted out of character I was mad these are Jews they've read the Bible they know the stories they know about Nadab and Abihu, Aaron's sons who right after they're initiated as priests, brand new priests, just getting used to the job, that they decided to take some liberties and offer some incense that, that God didn't, didn't prescribe. And fire came out from the presence of the Lord and killed them. And then Aaron was supposed to go to work that day and serve in the temple, and he wouldn't do it. And Moses said, what are you doing? And he said, my boys just got killed, okay? You think if I go in there and I start trying to act as a priest on a day like today, the Lord's going to be pleased with the emotions going on inside of me? You understand the anger and the grief and the sadness? Not going to happen. Then Moses said, okay. They knew that story. And and Moses, by the way, what he said to, to Aaron when that happened This is what God told us when he said, I will be regarded as holy in the presence of all the people. And they treated me like they can casually dance in here and do things how they see fit when I've already told them what I expect. And Aaron held his peace. They knew these stories. They knew about Uzzah when they're carrying the ark the ark that has the tablets with the commands on it, the ark that has the jar of manna, the ark that has Aaron's staff, or I'm sorry, Moses' staff that budded in it, the ark, the box held by poles not to be touched that houses the emblems of God's covenant, and they're carrying it. Well, they should have been carrying it, I'm sorry. They weren't carrying it. They were supposed to be carrying it with poles. They put it in an ox cart. And the oxen stumbled. The cart looks like it's going to go over. And Uzzah says, this can't be. Reaches forth his hand to steady it. And he is killed instantly by God. David is grieved. David is offended. Says, turn the sucker around. We're going back. Takes the ark back to where it was. To Obed-Edom's house, I think it was. And then God blesses his socks off. Until David goes, oh, I don't have to be afraid to bring the ark. I just have to be afraid of doing it wrong. 
And then they do it differently, right? Every few steps, David sacrifices, sacrifices, sacrifices. And that's the leaping and dancing before the Lord where his one wife sees him and is like, oh, and then she never has kids after that. And you know the story. Well, I hope you do. These are Jews. They know these stories. Not just these stories, guys. They live in a culture that's been shaped by offering sacrifices constantly. And some of the sacrifices are because something has to die. Because I've committed sins worthy of death. So now something has to die for me not to die. Now that's not all sacrifices, by the way. There's thank offerings, there's peace offerings, there's goodwill offerings, there's fellowship offerings, there's first fruit offerings. They have nothing to do with sin. But there's sin offerings. And they do. And these Jews grew up in a culture where they understood who God was and who they were in relationship to God. They understood the centrality of what's going on in here and who he is as holy. And to approach him, something serious is occurring. This is high, to go back to the electricity, this is high voltage stuff. And we don't play with this any old way we see. Oh, this is great. This is fun. It doesn't work that way. And they knew that. They, they, they were shaped in that culture. They, 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 they knew the stories, but they also had lived within the framework that gave them this understanding that if God decides to kill somebody, he hasn't sinned. And I'm telling you right now, we live in a culture that doesn't know the stories, and if they heard the stories, they'd get offended, and, and doesn't live in a culture. And we as Christians, I really feel like this is true. We Christians live in a culture where we assume that Jesus has tamed all the scary parts of God, that, that, that those stories I just referenced their old covenant, now that the new covenant is here, God is just friendly, happy, warm, and I can just click on porn, steal, come to church when I feel like it, live how I want to live, and then on my deathbed, because I've always sort of held out a little sweet, soft spot in my heart for God, it's all, it's all fine. It's all fine. <sighs> no, actually, you're relating to the God that killed those people, right? Like, that's the same God. He never, Jesus was the one in the Old Testament that killed them in the desert because they grumbled and whined. And is, I'm just quoting the New Testament that says it was Jesus. It was the rock that the water came out of. It was Jesus. It was Jesus. And you go, okay. Oh, okay. So, so what has changed? Well, tons have changed. Now, now in the New Covenant, we can be forgiven of stuff that they just stoned you to death for. The, being a Jew, you would have understood the difference between a sin and a transgression. We only kind of understand the difference between sins and crimes. We don't have the word transgression. Transgression doesn't make any sense to us. That word doesn't mean anything. If I asked most Christians, what's the difference between a sin and a transgression, they would say, I have no idea. They sound both like sins to me. Well, a transgression is a high-handed, willful, you knew better and you did it wrong anyway, and God would be right to, to wipe you off the planet. 
And these people understood this was a transgression, and not just any transgression. This was like a high, like, like Evan said, it might have been, oh, you didn't say might, but I'm going to put the word might, might have been the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. It was certainly lying to the Holy Spirit. And I, I'm just, so as I'm asking questions, one of the questions I have is, what are we missing that this, that this story is offensive to us? It should be scary to us in the same way that it was for them. Scary in the right ways. Scary in the ways that provoke health. Scary in the ways that actually accelerated revival. It wasn't an accident that right after that, signs and wonders broke out. Some were too afraid to join them, and yet the Lord kept adding to their numbers daily, and Peter's shadow was healing and casting out demons. It's not an accident. These two events are related. Great fear gripped all the people. And we have kind of grown up in this thing that says fear is wrong always. And I go, well, certain things are, certain kinds of fear are wrong. But, but, but if you're not afraid to sit on the train tracks with the train coming, I wouldn't call that a healthy Christian spirituality. I'd call that detached from reality. You're going to die. Like, Am I afraid of God? I'm afraid of displeasing God. I'm afraid of sinning against God. I'm afraid of ruining my life by, by, by getting far from God. And you go, well, that's not, you're not supposed to have fear. Well, listen, I'm not ruled by fear. Like, if you have the fear of the Lord, then, then you can tell, you can tell someone has the fear of the Lord because they grieve their sin and they hate it. Right? These folk, these folk had hearts so hard they could stand there in church and pretend to be giving the biggest offering of their life, knowing. But the fear of the Lord will make you turn around and go back to the person you were just talking with and say, I'm sorry, I, I actually misremembered what we were just talking about. I, I said this, but this is the accurate truth. Because truth matters to you so much that you were actually bothered by, by even the misremembering. You didn't, you didn't need Peter to stand up and yell at you to convict you because your heart wasn't so filled with Satan. Your heart was so full of God that it was fragile and sensitive to the Lord. That, 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 that your failures, they don't cripple you with hopelessness, but, but they do humble you with, with oh, help me, Jesus, I want to grow. And they humble you enough to make you turn to someone else who has fruit in their life and say, I sinned, and I hate this area, and I want to grow. And I, I would rather grow in this area and eat humble pie and let you guys know that I am not what I want to be in this than have the reward of your approval and keep my weakness hidden. I just, I just right? The fear of the Lord makes you live before the Lord. I live before his eyes. He sees what no one else sees. He sees what I don't see about me. Which is why David can, can basically say, you see my hidden faults. I don't, you see stuff I don't see. You, I need you to help me. It's not just what I did, it's what, it's what I wanted and what I believed that was wrong. And I don't know, I don't even understand me. I like that kind of repentance. The kind of repentance that goes deep enough that, you be, that, that I, that we begin to go, 
search me and try me, because I don't know, I don't understand my own motives, you know. Plus, it's way safer to let God search and try me than it is for me to search and try me thoroughly. Although I, I can hear the cross-reference of judge yourself so you won't come under judgment. I get it. So those are some of my questions. Like, what role did Peter play in this? That's one. Uh, another question is, and, and, and how's come my, my initial thing when I read this passage this morning was, who can you talk about that in America in 2023 without people being like, that's why I ain't a Christian. I can't believe no God that'd be like that. And I'd be like, and by the way, I don't know where that accent is, what's trying to go on with that accent. Um, let me try that again. I don't want to, I won't, I won't believe in a God who would kill anybody, no matter how sinful. And I go, wow, that, see, that, that, that to me means we have such distance culturally from the worldview. Because, and I know this doesn't sound, it's not going to sound fun when I say it, but I actually deserve to die for my sins. And when I read the book, when I read my Bible, that's what I see there. You know, like Adam Bauer taught us to pray a couple, was it two, a year and a half ago? He said, God, thank you. I was going to hell, and I'm never going to go there because of you. I deserved hell. I still do. But I'm never going because of Jesus and because of what you've done. Thank you so much. I was going there. I'm never going there. And I, it made me so uncomfortable when he said that. Even to just talk about hell first thing in the morning. This is, you have a cup of coffee in your hand and you, that's how you start your day, Adam? Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's how he starts his day. And I thought, oh, my word, that's so different because I think this is, what, this is where we kind of culturally start our day. I'm amazing and anyone who tells me to repent of anything is my enemy. And I will fight until every law until every governor, until every school, until every, everything uh, aligns with my right to be and do whatever I feel and want. And anyone who tries to stop anyone from doing anything they want is the real evil. That's what I smell in our culture. And so this kind of a story is just like incomprehensible. I'm struggling for words here right now. And I know it's our, it's our job not, not to make arguments with, with our culture. Not to make arguments. It's our job to do what these, these people were doing. The, they, were, they were living out this thing in such a way that, that, that people had to stop and go, I kind of hate what they're saying, but I kind of love how they are. I kind of really hate their message. And it's not what I believe, and it's not what I think, and it's not my values, and I completely am offended and triggered right now. But I really like how they are. If, if people were more like them, we could lower taxes. We could shut down orphanages. We would need welfare. If people were like them, we would, lead, we would need less prisons and less laws and less judges. But man, I really 
hate what they have to say to me about repenting and that Jesus has a claim on my life and that I'm going to stand and give an account before the fearful judgment seat of Christ and that every one of us is going to be like just completely exposed. I think if we're living this thing correctly, I expect that our message will be offensive. Not that we're ever going to try to be offensive if we have the Spirit of Jesus ruling us. We should not intentionally try to be offensive. But if we're asked a direct question and we give a direct answer and it violates the values of our neighbors and friends, co-workers, and, then the offense is unavoidable. But again, I live before you, God. I, I, I live to please you, God. I walk in the, I, I want to reverence you, God. Okay, um, that's, that's a lot of Oh, are you going to try to ask me where they went? <laughs> it's like, man, that's beyond my pay grade, Don. I mean, it looks to me like they went straight to hell, Don, to be honest with you. But I'm no authority on the matter. Yeah, I was just wondering and explaining it in my head. I mean, I don't know how to square how have you allowed Satan to so fill your heart. But what do I know? Right. What do I know? All I can give on that one is an opinion. Yeah. And uh, I don't know what it's worth. Right. I have no idea. And, and sometimes what we do is we make um, n- fictional Christian narratives about biblical characters, and we use the pieces of information we have to spin a yarn to help pull people into the Bible framework, and I'm glad we do that. But it's probably, <laughs> it's probably really, really inaccurate for the person in eternity going, huh? <laughs> That's nothing like me. What? I would say this, I love, love, love the theme of the holiness of God. Love that theme. I don't find it, I, I, I think sometimes, and, and I don't have better categories yet, so I'm going to use the bad categories I have. I feel like they're imperfect and re- overly reductive. Do you know what I mean by overly reductive? It would be like, if someone was trying to teach you music theory and they said, there's major chords and minor chords, and I would be like, what about augmented chords and diminished and nines and, ad- and suspended chords and inverted? What, Bro, there's not just major and minor chords. What are you talking about? Well, actually, it's a super helpful distinction, and even though it's not true, it's largely sonically true. Evan, would you agree with that back there? Yeah, yeah so... It's not that simple, but if I could lay out a real simple distinction. On the one hand, I feel it's possible to go so far with holiness, God's holiness, and his, his greatness, and his purity, and his perfection, and what we owe him, that, that we live over here and end up striving, endlessly striving to be better, and always feeling dissatisfied with myself and sorry to God that I'm not better than I am and frustrated with others who aren't seeming to try. 
And then on the other hand, it would be like, no, 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 forget all that. God's just, he loves you. So much mercy, so much grace. Mercy came running like, like the woman caught in adultery and like, come on, guys, like, like just grace. And, and we're not even under the law. And, and here it's like, shoot, I don't even look, I don't even reflect on my bad behavior. I just go, whoops, that, glad that day's over. Maybe tomorrow will be better. We'll see, you know. You just, but I know I'm loved and I'm special. I'm probably God's favorite. You know what I mean? And when the teacher, when you're the teacher's favorite, you don't have to get a good grade to get a good grade. You just get a good grade, baby. You know what I mean? The essays, it's all a curve based on how much, they, and again, that's how God feels about me. And, and I know this is a terribly imperfect, you know, two poles of extremes of God as just so sweet and kind and you can just waltz into his presence and high five him and say, what's up, dad? You know, yeah, be and then and then over here, it's it's like I can't even get off the floor. I can't even dare to look at God because he's capital G, capital O, capital D. God, you can't even that say walk it. Walk right there is a deeper walk than that over there. So as you walk deeper with God, I think you're asking one more accountable, and God is going to hold you accountable. Oh yeah. This is why I say I don't like this these these distinctions that I'm drawing as though grace is somehow out of balance when it's not. When everything I said over here, if it's stewarded the right way by a heart, this will make you go, God, you're so holy. I want to serve you. I want to walk with you. Take me deeper. Oh, you know what? When I see how beautiful you are to me, the stuff that, I, that needs to change in me, I, want, I trust you to change it because I experience you as grace. I trust you with more of me. Right? And, and the same over here. It's like, oh my word, when I actually take a good look at who he is and who I am, I go, oh my word, grace. But, but, but do you at least see the pitfalls that could happen on both of those emphases if they are separate from each other? Yeah. And wouldn't it be so much healthier? Yes, wouldn't it be so much healthier yeah. to keep holiness and reverence, and fear, and, and actually intentionally going, I want to serve you well today. I want to please you. Pair that with this. I can boldly come into your presence because I am your kid and you do love me. But you don't show favoritism. That's very clear in the Bible, right? God doesn't grade on a curve going, but you're cute, so I'll let it pass. That's not, <laughs> that's not a hall pass. That's a big deal. I think that when Paul says, consider the kindness and the sternness of God. Kindness and the sternness of God. These two things must be held together. Yes, the verse that I have on the wall. Whoa, we're God's kids. Look at the lavish way he's, called, he's loved us. And... I will be regarded as holy in the eyes of all the people. Walk before me, like he says to Abraham, and be blameless. And, and I, I don't think that's a heavy word. I, I don't. When they're held together, I, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm still processing this because look at how it happens in the story. The fear of the Lord increases their faith. It doesn't cripple their prayer life. 
it seems to, it seems to steal them up and solidify their, their, their resolve. But I'm just still blown away by the fact that these, nobody thought to say, oh, that's such an offense. And then like the next week, the numbers were in half. And the week after that, even less, because the story was going out of the scandalous thing the Lord did. I do find it strange that when we lay hands on people and they fall to the ground, we, we say that they were slain in the spirit. This is slain in the spirit. What I just read, that's slain in the spirit. I don't know that we need to use that phrase very much. That's weird. Are, am I right? It's the only instance in the Bible that I can think of <laughs> where someone got slain. In, I'm sorry to be laughing. Slain in the spirit in church. You know, when you see giving as an act of worship, you know, giving as as an act of worship as much as any other form of worship we do, um, the, the crime it is to, to make it, um, I think selfish would be an under... About us. Understatement. Right. Because he says, you could have just kept it. You didn't have to give anything. It was completely up to you. But you've decided... I don't know, I, I want to get, I want to get, but, you know, so it's almost, you know, that, it's scary that it struck me with fear for a second, got a cold chill, um, when, when worship, if worship isn't 100% what it's supposed to be, he doesn't even want it. you know, it's like a crime if it's not 100%. It's, it's unacceptable to him if it's not. The motive has to somewhere dig down. Somewhere in there has to be a sincere motive. I, I, I think most of us are carrying... Man, I'm almost going to cry. We're called to endure the trial of being us, right? And part of the trial of being us is carrying those motives and those desires that are, that are out of sync with Jesus, carrying them along with us and not being ruled by them and, and, and letting that sincere part of us take hold of the will and, and offer a sacrifice with that other part of me that wants people to look at me and admire me for the sacrifice. And when I become aware that that's going on there, I just go, oh, shut up. You know, and, and that's a part of the trial of being Tim and Evan in this world. And, and, and yeah, <laughs> and, and, and so Father Thomas Hopko says, endure the trial of your various weaknesses serenely under God's mercy. In other words, we have to remember his mercy so that we, because I don't know about 100% is what I'm trying to say. I don't know about 100%. I know about sincerity. And plus, am I going to be the expert on when I've reached 100%? Probably not. Probably not. You know? Oh, oh my word. Guys, guys. I was perfect. Just now. I saw it. Did you see it? Oh, you didn't see it? Oh, then I told you and ruined it. Oh, man. <laughs> okay, you know? Like, so that, that's that slippery little uh, watermelon seed that when you gra- try to grab hold of it, it slips out anyway. And did you, Were you going to comment? Or no, it was just body language. Okay. I'm going to stop now. And just kind of move into prayer. So God, we thank you.
We thank you for mercy. I know we, we've unpacked a lot, and there's probably questions we've opened that we didn't really answer sufficiently. Um, but I, I like where we landed, God. Of we, we want to be sincere in that part of us that chooses. And so, Holy Spirit, we, we thank you that we, we do live by mercy. I thank you for your holiness. I thank you for your grace. I thank you that we get to know you. Our sickness is, is a serious one. Sin is a big deal to you. Transgressions are a big deal. Not just to you, but to us. Sin does ruin our lives. Love does help put the world right and put things back together. So Holy Spirit, would you, would you continue to grant understanding to us? And I ask that, uh, that you, would, you would help recover some stuff that we've lost. I'm not asking necessarily for other people right now. I'm asking for us, that you would recover for us your holiness, that, that you would recover for us a deep, settled peace that what you've put in the book is actually reliable and sane. And what you do is right and not to be apologized for, but to be grappled with, wrestled with, and then understood better in the grappling and in the wrestling. I pray, God, for winsome uh, insights that would help people in our culture that would, would trip over this. I'm picturing like a big box that Amazon dropped off on the front porch, and there's no handles on the thing, and I'm struggling up the stairs and can't open the door. And if there were just handles, I could grab with one hand and lean back and open the door. So I'm asking God for you to give us insight into your, into your passages that are difficult, that would help people go, oh, I was thinking of it this way. When you say it that way, it actually looks beautiful. The way I was looking at it, I don't ever want to trust a God like that. But what you just said, man, that is so realistic. My life's actually like that. So give us, give us those insights, God, that would help put handles on these difficult concepts. And thanks, God, that, that even though you call us toward perfection, you, you know very well that we're not there. And you very much enjoy relating to us as your kids. I thank you that I'm not under the old covenant, but I thank you very much that I'm in the same family as those people who were. They're cheering us on. And Holy Spirit, we, we also ask that you would heal we ask for signs and wonders. We ask for the boldness to tell people the simple things we've experienced about you. Again, we do not ask God to win arguments. We ask for the opportunity to, to, to just put some seeds in the soil. Mm-hmm. Not pressure, not guilt, not judgment. Just some testimony. Just this is what I've known. This is what I've experienced. Amen. Man, I was so captivated by, in my first book, Theophilus, I talked about all that Jesus began to do and teach until he was taken up. We're what he's continuing to do and teach. Like through us is what he's now, he's continuing to do and teach.